may we reflect a little bit on the reality of what uh, brought, brings us here. We come from a week that's where we're pulled in many, many directions, uh, a lot of duties, a lot of tasks that lay claim to our lives. But on this day and in this place, we come to worship God and uh, to open our hearts and our minds to God's spirit and God's presence. So I invite you to uh, do that this morning and just take time to, uh, to be in, in the presence of God. Let's pray together. God, your love has brought us here together, and it is your love that sustains us through each and every day. Uh, we pray that you would keep us faithful to you, even as we watch for signs of your kingdom breaking in all around us, strengthen us to work with you to bring about here and now your reign on this earth. Give us the courage to witness to your presence in the world today, tomorrow, and on into the future. And we ask it all in the name of the one who comes to us and meets us here, even Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. This weekend we are beginning a new three-part series of messages called What's Next? And we're going to be talking about the life uh, uh, of the disciples uh, of Jesus and, and also of us following Easter and the resurrection. You know, there's a lot of buildup in the church to get to Easter. And it's a foundational day uh, in the faith of Christians. Jesus was the only leader of a faith movement in history to die and then come alive again and to be seen by not only his disciples but hundreds of people in the days that followed. But the question is, what changed for them because of the resurrection? What changes for us uh, because Christ is alive? And uh, What's next is a question that really we ask a lot in life. At a time in our life when we're at a crossroads, maybe it's graduation, maybe it's confirmation, maybe it's a wedding or the loss of a job, we often ask that question, what's next for us? Uh, maybe it's uh, asked during a time of tragedy or loss or when we're just simply dissatisfied with life. But it's a simple question but a profound question as well because the answer often leads us in a new direction. So we're gonna be looking at a couple of passages of scripture in the Gospel of John near the end of John's Gospel about how the disciples answer that question and offer some suggestions today on how uh, we can apply it to our own lives. Have you ever missed out on an event that everyone else got to see and be part of? Maybe you weren't able to be at a family wedding, or maybe you missed out on some big news event that you felt completely in the dark when everyone else started talking about it. Or maybe you took a day off work and that was the day the boss showed up and decided to take everybody out to lunch. You know, we have all missed out on something through the years, and so we can understand a little bit of what Thomas, one of Jesus' disciples, must have been feeling the week after Jesus rose from the dead. For whatever reason, we are told that Thomas was not with the rest of the disciples when Jesus appeared to them. We don't know where he was or what he was doing, but you can imagine how Thomas must have felt when he got back together with his friends and they all started telling him that Jesus was alive and that Jesus had stood there right in the room with them. How disappointed Thomas must have been 
how frustrated and upset he must have been with himself and maybe even Jesus for appearing when he wasn't there. Maybe it was that frustration and disappointment that made him a little defensive, so defensive that he said he wouldn't believe it until he could see it with his own eyes. Or maybe Thomas was really struggling to believe something that contradicted what he knew was true, that Jesus had died on that cross. You see, for centuries, Thomas has gotten a bad rap because we, he struggled to believe something that all the rest of the disciples got to see. And because of that, people have called him Doubting Thomas ever since. But the truth is, Thomas has more to teach us who are part of the church today about faith than he does about doubt. And all that we know about Thomas comes from the Gospel of John. Uh, we hear Thomas speak three times in the gospel, which may not sound like much, but since we never hear uh, many of the disciples speak, that, that we hear from Thomas three times is significant. And if we listen to what Thomas says, we find that he's really more of a person of faith than he is a person of doubt, and maybe we need to model our lives and even our faith on him. We first hear Thomas speak in John chapter 11, uh, beginning with verse 1, after Jesus' friend has died. Here's how John writes the story. A man named Lazarus was sick. He lived in Bethany with his sisters, Mary and Martha. This is the Mary who later poured the expensive perfume on Jesus' feet and wiped them with her hair. Her brother, Lazarus, was sick. So the two sisters sent a message to Jesus telling him, Lord, your dear friend is very sick. But when Jesus heard about it, he said, Lazarus' sickness will not end in death. No, it happened for the glory of God so that the Son of God will receive glory from this. So although Jesus loved Martha and Mary and Lazarus, he stayed where he was for the next two days. And finally, he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. But his disciples objected. Rabbi, they said, only a few days ago, the people in Judea were trying to stone you. Are we going there again? Jesus replied, there are 12 hours of daylight every day. During the day, people can walk safely. They can see because they have the light of this world. But at night, there is danger of stumbling because they have no light. And then he said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. But now I will go and wake him up. The disciples said, Lord, if he's sleeping, he'll soon get better. They thought Jesus meant that Lazarus was simply sleeping, but Jesus meant Lazarus had died. So he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sakes, I'm glad I wasn't there, for now you will really believe. Come, let's go see him. And Thomas, nicknamed the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let's go. Let's go too and die with Jesus. See, Lazarus and Mary and Martha lived in a town called Bethany and often opened their home to Jesus and his disciples when he was in the area. And word came to Jesus that Lazarus had died, and so Jesus said they're going to return to Bethany in Judea to be with the family. And at this, the disciples raise a concern. They remember that the last time Jesus was in Judea, people tried to kill him. Did Jesus really want to go back there? Jesus was said he was going, and it was Thomas who replied, let's go too, and die with Jesus. And what Thomas shows us in this story is that real faith often involves taking risk. 
Here is, there is no doubt in Thomas's mind what will happen to them if they return to Bethany. They could all die. But Thomas is willing to go. He's willing to take the risk, and that is real faith. Faith is bold. It's courageous. It's risk-taking. Think of the people of faith we read about in the Old Testament. Uh, they all had to take risks. Abraham had to leave his home and go to a place that God would show him. He had no idea of where he was going. He just knew he had to take the risk and go. Moses had to step up and speak to Pharaoh and lead God's people out of Egypt and then through the Red Sea, and all of that was dangerous and could have led Moses to being attacked or even killed. But he took the risk, and he went. David had to be willing to face Goliath with a slingshot and some stones along with his belief in God. The prophets all through the Old Testament had to risk their lives and their reputations on many occasions to speak the truth to the people of God. You see, faith always involves some risk. And the only reason we know about Jesus today is because there have been people in every generation who were willing to take some risks to share the message of Jesus with others and even with us. The disciples took risks to tell others about Christ. The early church took risks to spread the gospel through the Roman Empire. People were thrown to the lions and burned at the stake because they refused to deny their faith in Christ and their risk-taking witness helped others to believe. Missionaries over the last couple of centuries have taken risks to take the message of Jesus to places in the world that have not been reached with the good news. And their goal is to simply proclaim their belief in Jesus and their witness has helped others to come to faith and retain their faith even today in the face of danger and death in many places. I also think about our ancestors in the faith. You know, in their own way, some took risks so that this church could be established so that their children and grandchildren and generations to come might believe in Jesus. People right here in DeWitt sacrificed and gave so that we could be here today and enjoy the church that's here on this corner. They didn't just give so that there could be a building here. The faithful ministry and service of so many people was to keep the work of Jesus alive. And men and women gave their time, they gave their energy, they gave their gifts to make sure that Sunday school continued and children were cared for. People gave their time to sing in worship, to lead in Bible studies, to serve in the community. Ministry and service usually involves some risks and some sacrifices, and we're here today because of that risk-taking faith. See, faith in Jesus calls for taking risks and for the kind of courage that we see in Thomas who was willing to even die for Jesus. Thomas' love for Jesus was so strong that he was willing to lay down his life. Thomas is not a study in doubt. He is an example of faith because real faith is risky. The question is, will we take risks for our own faith? Will we take risks at school or at work to let people know that we are a follower of Jesus Christ? When others are making fun of the church, and will we stand up and speak for what we believe in? Will we take a risk with our finances and order our financial lives the way God calls us to? It's risky to tithe, I know that. It's to give sacrificially to the work of God in this world, but I think all of those who have, 
of all of those who have done that because their faith has made a difference and we benefit? Will we take some risks and step out in mission and in service? Too often we don't think we have anything to offer or that our work can, you know, might not make a difference, so we sit back. But instead of complacency, we need to take a risk and we need to step up. Sometimes we're afraid of looking foolish when we step out to help some others because we may not feel like we have the skills or the ability to do that. But are we willing to risk and look foolish and even fail so that others might know Christ. Thomas really thought they were gonna die if they went back to Judea. He thought they would fail, but he went anyway. Sometimes we just need to step up and do what is necessary, knowing that God has promised that he would always be with us. Maybe it seems risky to volunteer here at church because we aren't sure what we can do and we don't know who we might be working with. You know what? Faith is signing up anyway. May be risky to volunteer to work with our children because we don't feel like we have the gifts to help in the nursery or vacation Bible school. But you know what? Faith is stepping up and helping anyway. When we share in the sacrament of baptism, we make a commitment as a congregation to order our lives after the example of Christ so that a child or a family, which means all of our children and all of our families can see and hear and experience the presence of God. This means we have to do something. We have to be willing to risk something. And when the disciples faced the resurrection of Jesus and the uncertainty that this new reality brought to their lives, they had to be willing to overcome their fear and take some bold and courageous steps to move forward. And I'm sure they asked themselves often, What's next for us? My guess is that in time, it was Thomas who answered that question by saying, we have to have faith. We need to take some risks. See, faith requires us to do that. What risk is God asking you to take today? Secondly, Thomas also shows us that faith means digging deeper into who Jesus is and what Jesus is all about. The next time we hear from Thomas, it's at the Last Supper, when Jesus told his disciples that he was getting ready to go to his Father in heaven. In the words of John 14, beginning with verse one, don't let your hearts be troubled, Jesus said, trust in God, trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my Father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going. So how can we know the way? Jesus told him, I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Now the truth is that none of the disciples understood what Jesus was talking about in that moment, but it was Thomas who took the risk to ask a question. Thomas wanted to understand more about Jesus and what he was doing and where he was going, and Thomas wanted to learn more, and real faith always has a hunger and a thirst for more of Jesus. And while we may think that faith means having all the answers in life, real faith is, be, is more about being willing to ask the questions. 
Throughout Jesus' life and ministry, the disciples ask a lot of questions, but none of those can compare to what they asked after the resurrection. How did you rise from the dead, Jesus? You know, why did you rise from the dead? What does this mean for you, Jesus, and, and for us and for the world? Now what are we supposed to do? What are you going to do? See, those are still some of the questions that we ask today and don't get specific answers to, but as someone who has asked a lot of questions about faith uh, during my lifetime, let me tell you that the process of asking questions, if we are sincerely seeking God, always leads to a deeper faith and trust in God. And it's important to ask questions because asking questions not only leads to finding answers, but it leads us into a deeper relationship with the one we're talking to. You know, one of the most wonderful things, um, uh, and one, at the same time, one of the most exasperating things about being a parent or a grandparent is children who get to that phase in life, early in their life, when they're asking the constant questions. Do you remember that? Why is the grass green? Why is the sky blue? You know, why, why, why? When children ask those questions, there is a real desire to learn more about the world around them, but I often wonder if what they are really wanting is simply a deeper relationship with the one that they're asking those questions of. Do all those questions just show a desire on the parents to know the parent more, or on the part of the children to know the parent more, or the grandparent? So developing a strong faith doesn't mean that we shy away from asking questions, but that we ask them and seek to know more about Jesus. This is why we come to worship. It's why we do Sunday school. It's why we do Bible studies and life groups and personal devotions. It's so important because they not only teach us about God, but it's in those moments that we open up our hearts and our minds so that we can ask more questions, so that we can seek God. And the more we seek God, the scripture says, the more we will find him. Our faith can't get complacent. We can't get to the place where we feel like we've learned all we need to learn because when it comes to God, we will never learn all there is to know. Thomas shows us that real faith takes risks and it asks questions, but the real faith is also willing to go, let go of uncertainty. And after Thomas sees the risen Jesus and the wounds in his hands and his side, we hear him speak for the last time, and it's in John 20, beginning in verse 21. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And one of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them and place my hand in the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again and this time Thomas was with them and the doors were locked. But suddenly as before, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. And then Jesus told him, you believe because you've seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me.
And with these words, Thomas has let go of his uncertainty. His questions have found answers. His love for Jesus has grown to the place where Thomas alone in the gospel proclaims Jesus to be God. You know, in many ways, this is the moment that John has been leading us to in his gospel. All through the gospel of John, he's been telling us that Jesus is God. And of all people, it is Thomas who really doesn't doubt, but has the faith to say that Jesus is God. Thomas has now become the model of what it means to have faith in the risen Christ. Real faith means that we love Jesus with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that our love moves us to take some big risks at times to follow him. Real faith means we're always willing to learn more about Jesus. We're willing to ask the questions that not only lead us into a deeper understanding, but a deeper relationship with God. It also means being willing to let go of our fear so that with confidence we can proclaim Jesus to be God and to trust him as our Lord and Savior. And after Jesus rose from the dead, one of the biggest questions that people were facing is what's next? What do we do with this news that Jesus is alive? What does it mean for our lives and for our world? And Thomas teaches us that what is needed now is faith. We need to take some risks. We need to dig deeper into who Jesus is. We need to let go of our doubts and fears so that we can trust Jesus as Lord and God. Thomas is the one who shows us uh, is not the one who shows us doubt. He is the one who teaches us about risky faith. So let me ask you this morning, what's next for you? What is the next step of faith that you need to take? How has the resurrection impacted the way you think, the way you live? Is there a deeper relationship with Jesus to which you are being called to go today. Pray with me. Thank you, God, that you are, that we are your children and that we have, Scripture says, a citizenship laid up for us in heaven and we await your coming as Savior and Lord. God, thank you that your purpose for humanity is all tied up in Christ and that he is to be honored above every ruler and authority, above every power and dominion, every home, uh, every family and your word tells us that every name that is named not only in this age but in the age to come will bow down to him thank you that you've put all things in subjection under his feet you've given him lordship over all things in the church which is his body and as part of that body today we pray that you would fulfill your work that you have purposed for us to do I thank you that your will for our lives is to transform us into the image and the likeness of Jesus. And I pray that each of our lives may reflect his grace and his beauty in all that we say and do. God, I pray that we may be willing to submit to the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, even on those occasions when we don't quite understand, but we may ask all that is uh, asked of us. And God, help us to decrease so that Christ may increase in us until he is all in all in each of our lives. And it's to your praise and your glory alone that we offer this prayer. Amen.